Today's scripture reading comes from a portion of Psalm 69. I'm reading verses 3 and 4. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without a cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who would attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. Respondeme, Señor, por tu bondad y tu amor. Por tu gran compasión, vuélvete a mí. No escondas tu rostro de este siervo tuyo. Respondeme pronto, que estoy angustiado. Ven a mi lado y escáteme. Rendímeme por causa de mis enemigos. Yo digo un mot, yo que ocasé, courage moi. Me sentí se morir, ma pourri. Me te cuenta a alguien mon que te alguien pitié por moi, mais personne pas venir. Me te cuenta a alguien mon que te vin consoler, personne pas paraître. Yo mete poison na manger moi. Les mandé de l'eau pour moi, c'est vinaigre yo ban moi. Yano elevidan dokitena magno, deyme ne direction yo tumara gate. Yan pato de devitin nam testo dikin stotter to de. Chenbe de ren kanjen na jo shi le, shin shou sen de ren, yuan ni men de xin su xi. Yin wei ye he hua ting le chong fa ren, bu miao shi bei chou de ren. Hello, Edge City Church. Pastor Stephen Leung here. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Edge City Church. Glad to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. It was shocking, scandalous, embarrassing. The year was 1969, and the group, then known as Jefferson Airplane, made its appearance on the Dick Cavett Show. Now, even I was too young, actually, to tune in that night, but you can catch the videos if you want uh, on the internet. As colorful as the psychedelic background was, the language was even more colorful, colorful in what Jefferson Airplane was singing. They were singing the song, We Can Be Together. Now, it's not as famous, perhaps, as some of the other songs they were singing at the time to express distress and dissatisfaction with the times and with the disastrous things they noted in society certainly not as famous as their song, Someone to Love, or Somebody to Love. Uh, not even as famous as uh, Volunteers, which was on the flip side of the song, We Can Be Together. But as they sang it on the Dick Cavett show, they dropped a few explicitive, ex expletives, F-bombs, if you will. Words that wouldn't catch our attention today, but nonetheless, they were capturing the mood especially borrowing a phrase that the Black Panthers were using at the time, because it was a time when America was still in the Vietnam War, and there were other things about society, the oppression of people of color, uh, especially those of darker color. We are in times equally, perhaps, as devastating, as disruptive, and people are experiencing various levels of distress. And what's interesting is we have this psalm that we are looking at today that is as perhaps disturbing and as embarrassing as what Jefferson Airplane was singing that night. And we do not know that these songs really are at our disposal and for us 
to be able to deal with the situations that we are going through right now, even in our discomfort, even in our sense of the disaster and discrimination and maybe even defamation that we face in our lives. The people have already done a marvelous job in reading highlights of this psalm, Psalm 69, but let me read for us now a portion that some might consider scandalous and why some people may skip over this psalm. I will begin in verse 22 and read to verse 28. It reads, let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May there can't be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents for they persecute him who you have struck down and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. This is the word of God. As maybe distressing as that might be, wishing people not well-being and maybe even not eternal security. But it is the word of God. And I would ask, let us go now in prayer and ask the Lord's blessing upon this time. Father, we pray, even as we turn to your word, that you would work by your Holy Spirit in our lives now, that our eyes might be open, that we might see beautiful things in your word, but that we might also get a sense of how we might be encouraged to live out the word you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing with our series here, um, covering the Psalms of Lament because we are in a season of lament. And Psalm 69 certainly fits this description of Psalms of Lament. It begins by talking about uh, the author being in deep waters and in deep muck, being overwhelmed, fearing for his life even. It is also what we call an imprecatory psalm, meaning a psalm where it has curses upon other people, like the section I just read. And we've covered um, imprecatory psalms already before. Pastor Nob preached on one before, and I don't really intend to just repeat what he brought out about imprecatory psalms. But I do want to bring this out, that they are meant for us to be sung, uh, for us to sing them together. That's the bottom line. But we are not only to sing this psalm as we sing all the psalms, this psalm is in a time like this really kind of a must sing. And as I go through the remainder of this message, I essentially want to make three points. That yes, we are to sing this psalm together, and then we typically sing this with King David, who is the author of this particular psalm, and we should always sing them with Christ Jesus. So those are our three points. First thing is, why would we even sing these psalms? Well, for one thing, the psalms were meant to be sung. Many times there is a description at the beginning, like this one, where it says this is for the choir master. And then it also gives some annotation about which tune is to be used. In this case, it is lilies of David. In other words, this tune that people understood as lilies and it was by David. But whether or not there is a, an introduction like this one for Psalm 69, we understand that the Psalms are essentially the hymn book of God's people. God's Old Testament people had this as a collection of songs that they were to sing. Now, we don't have the tunes 
today, so we don't necessarily know how they sang it. But what I mean by singing it is essentially to get these psalms deep into us, that it doesn't simply reside up in our headspace. We should remember that um, things that are things that are sung sometimes make it past things that are just thought. It's kind of like this. How many of you ran with Ahmad? After it was revealed back in April that Ahmad Arbery was senselessly murdered, there was this campaign that essentially said, run with Ahmad. And why was it effective? Well, it was effective because of this. It invited us to run. And that wasn't something that you just do up in your head. That's something that you do physically with your body. And as you do, do so, I discovered you begin to feel it. You feel it. And you begin to think things as well, like, isn't it too bad that Ahmad is not around anymore? To enjoy the running, the breathing, the heart pounding, the, the, the foot on the pounding the pavement that we get to enjoy, or the scenery that we get to enjoy, that he's not around anymore. And you felt it that much more. And you also had this sense of solidarity with those who still feel the pain of people who are under racial oppression or people who feel that they are treated unjustly just simply because of the color of their skin. And it was also a time to express our sympathy for the family left behind, someone who was so tragically taken away. Well, it's in the same manner, same way that the Psalms are something beyond what is good for just our speech, our vocabulary, our thinking, so that we might have you know, vocab to uh, express our feelings and our thoughts to God. They're even beyond uh, what is simply good for structure. And Pastor Nal reminded us last time that you know, sometimes if we don't take into account all the structure, there are things that we are uh, prone to forget or things that we don't do as we go to God and communicate with him. But the key point here is that we sing these psalms so that the ideas, the subject matters, don't just stay in our headspace. They're not just some kind of thought exercise. They actually become things that we care about. They are not just abstract ideas or ideals. We realize that they are real life. And whether we're going through it or not, we realize that there are others, others in the community, in the body of Christ, who are going through these things. And perhaps going through these things in much more intense ways than we are. Singing these psalms together takes the subject matter from what is cerebral into what is visceral. Again, it goes out of our headspace and into our time and space where there are real people, real neighbors, real friends, real brothers and sisters in Christ, real image bearers of God who are going through these things. And it should, in some ways, grab our attention. However, as we sing, we don't just sing this oblivious or separated from context. And that's why we would be invited to sing with the authors. In this case, the author is King David. And some people would suggest, looking at a psalm like this, that this is primarily a prayer for David. Or that if we were to pray it, or people prayed it, that they were praying for David only. It concerned only him or, or then maybe a subsequent king. I, I suggest, as uh, 
we were taught during my time in seminary to think, though, that it's not just about David being a king, but it's also David as the model Israelite, that he's kind of this ideal member of the community of faith. And as such, he was not only just a representative, uh, a representative of that community, but he experienced what others in the community also experienced. He felt pain. He felt the affliction just like the rest of the people in his community, in that covenant community. So again, singing this psalm shaped the hearts of the people who sang it. It shaped their hearts towards the king, but not only the king. It shaped the hearts, their hearts for all the people in the entire community who might be going through the exact same things that King David was going through, or they might be going through things that were represented by the things that King David was going through. Now, as a model expressing pain and affliction, David does give us an example that we should follow, structure-wise. And, it, and essentially it is this, that in verse 5, which we have not read for you yet, but I, I will read for you now, David says this, Oh God, you know my folly, the wrongs I've done. They're not hidden from you. In essence, he's owning his folly and his wrongs even before he goes on elaborating or bemoaning his, the hate and scorn and the insults that are being directed his way by enemies. When we sing uh, psalms like this, it's good for us to follow an example like David sets for us, that we would tend uh, or spend the time to consider what our wrongs might be that we might need to own. One way I might put this is that we should begin with self-inventory rather than oftentimes what we do in crisis that distress us or devastate us. A lot of times we are quick to say, well, I'm, I'm distant from that or it doesn't affect me or we are quick to do some type of virtual signaling where we kind of indicate, well, this is what I'm doing about it or this is how I'm contributing to the solution rather than really kind of taking full inventory of what's broken and how are we broken and how might we be contributing to the brokenness and what kind of stories we might be telling ourselves to distance us from the brokenness and the reality of what's going on to say that we are somehow maybe the hero rather than any participant or even a victim of what's going on. We might need to ask ourselves, how might I give credence to what others are believing or saying about God and about his people? Oftentimes I wonder if we even notice what we do that causes people to have this enmity or animosity towards Christians. What is it that I need to acknowledge? What is it that you perhaps need to acknowledge before the Lord and perhaps even repent of it? Now, since the outbreak of the uh, pandemic here in New York, I found myself uh, singing the imprecatory psalms at least three different times. The first time was when we went to the online format and things were working pretty well. And I decided or I sensed that I needed to pray imprecatory psalms against potential hackers. Because as they noticed things going well and certain churches being effective, I knew that there were people who had time on their hands and probably had no better um, Nothing better to do than to try to disrupt what churches were doing. So I sang it that way. And then second, it was as we headed into 
Easter weekend. And God had this way of dramatically ordaining things that weekend. You remember, like, as the curve was flattening, we peaked around uh, Good Friday and things were starting to improve even on Easter. And I knew that there would be quick, there would be those people that would be quick to deny that God had anything to do with it. And they would just simply say, people did it. And I was praying that God would kind of silence that kind of message. And so in some ways, I prayed the imprecatories. But then the third way was truly unexpected for me. As some of you know, I headed to Kentucky after Easter. The idea was that I would go help my parents um, as their region was experiencing the peak of the virus. But uh, as much as I had tried to convey over the phone to them what they needed to do, it just didn't seem to be taking place. And so I went there. Now, what was interesting is that I have a dear family member who suffers from um, a psychotic condition and the dosage of the medication was not right. And so what I found was I was at the receiving end of a lot of cursing. And I'm not just talking about a, an expletive here or there. I'm talking about hour upon hour upon hour of someone saying things almost in a prophetic preaching style, accusing me of false motives and assassinating my character, saying all kinds of things about my family. I mean, essentially like fighting words. I, am, I, I felt this intense pressure, persecution, if you will, for hours on end in a day. And so I found myself needing to pray the imprecatory psalms once again. But then an interesting thing happened as I was doing so. God made it kind of clear to me or helped me to realize that there were certain things about the way I had entered the situation. Again, coming in physically distant, talking to parents that were hard of hearing and trying to make changes happen a lot. And it probably was triggering some of the response that I was seeing and receiving. And there were probably things in the past too that were being conjured up uh, that were part of this trigger of what um, I was experiencing. And so I then realized and recognized there were things I needed to confess before the Lord and to acknowledge and to just hand over to the Lord. Many times we just realize, even as we sing these psalms, we can't do them perfectly. We can't sing them innocently. Even King David couldn't do so. But there is one who can. And I know the answer is kind of obvious. It's Christ Jesus. But let's think a little bit more about the ways Jesus sang this psalm in a way that nobody else could. Nobody else had um, done so up to that point. And first of all, what I mean is that he experienced the unjust hate and the shame and the scorn in the most exaggerated form and concentration ever. Yes, people through the ages have experienced what this psalm talks about, but not to the degree in which Jesus did. But yet through him, because he endured this kind of shame and suffering and hate, through him, we have our redemption and also a picture of God's justice because, because on him, God's justice was executed. It was satisfied. God's justice demands payment for all this wrongdoing and evil that is out there. And yet Jesus took all that upon himself. God executed that justice upon him. And he also established the redemption that's possible for us. Redemption that is pointed to in this psalm. 
For those who would believe, who would receive the gift of what Christ has accomplished in dying for us and in rising for us. This redemption that is pointed to and painted in this psalm becomes something that's very possible for us. Now, how do we know this? How do we know Jesus endured hate and scorn and um, insult? Well, the New Testament writers make it pretty explicit for us. It's not always this easy to see Jesus in the Psalms. Not every Psalm is so clearly, you know, pointing to Jesus. But, but this one is, is aided by the fact that New Testament writers seem to love coming back and pointing to this Psalm. Now, there are a number of ways uh, that we could, we could see it. Um, Jesus evoked and experienced this hatred and insult in, in ways that, for example, John pointed out a number of times. Um, he pointed out in John uh, chapter 15, for example, that um, kind of alluding to verse 3, I believe, of this psalm, John, John chapter 15 talks about um, suffering or being hated without cause. And it says that this fulfilled the law as it was written. Well, it referred back to here in Psalm uh, 69. Also in, uh, in Romans, Paul also alludes to this in Romans 15, verse 3. He said, Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. In other words, the reproach that the, the insults of the scorn for God actually fell upon Jesus. So it was in his life. It's also in the betrayal. Luke points to how uh, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, suffered the fate that was promised in kind of the imprecatory portion about not having, uh, about his tents being desolate. Um, at, in, in the, at the cross, John obviously points to this where he talks about Jesus thirsting and then having vinegar uh, or sour wine being given uh, for him to drink. Even after his death and his resurrection, there is allusion to this psalm as a way to say, People, Jesus' people, continued to reject him. So Paul talked about Jesus being rejected by his people in Romans chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. He refers to probably the Greek uh, translation of, um, of this psalm, where it talks about uh, verses 22 and 23, uh, as, as people continuing to not have their eyes open, not being able to see uh, who Jesus is. And yet, it's not just what the New Testament authors point out to us. There are ways that are pretty clear uh, to us, I believe, as we look at this psalm, that we see Jesus sings this psalm in a very unique and transformative way. Different from the way that King David had sung it to this point or any of God's people had sung it prior to him. You see, Jesus came and he sympathized with those who are in pain, those who are afflicted. He didn't just look for pity. Now, those who sang the psalm talk about looking for pity in this, but Jesus, without looking for pity, sympathizes with us. And also, we already alluded to how verse 5 talked about um, acknowledging our sin. Well, Jesus had no sin to acknowledge or confess. He, he, despite all the hatred heaped upon him, despite all the insult, remained sinless. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
Therefore, it encourages us in the following verse to say, draw, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, King David may have also been set on high as is um, portrayed in this psalm uh, from salvation, from God's deliverance. He may have been protected from his enemies, but God uh, set Jesus on high in a way that's unique to him. This past Thursday was Ascension Day when Jesus ascended to heaven and was coronated, went through his coronation and takes his seat at the right hand of God. He is on the throne in heaven. And so traditionally, this Sunday, today, is Ascension Sunday. And earlier, the virtual choir sang, is he worthy? The question is, is he or who is able to open the scroll? Who is able to move the story forward so that we know it does not end in the present? in our present condition, in our present moment, in our current predicament. He is the one who is worthy because this is the lamb who was slain on our behalf. But the Lion of Judah now risen, sits on the throne at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. So we sing this psalm with Jesus in mind. We sing this psalm with Jesus We sing the song together, certainly, but again, not minus Jesus. We sing the song in the laments, in our lament, because Jesus laments with his people. He hurts when his body hurts. You know, interestingly, it's been pointed out on the road to Damascus, Jesus asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul must have been baffled by the question because Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Paul was persecuting the Christians, the church. And yet what Jesus is saying there is that, you know, by persecuting my people, you're persecuting me. He feels the hurt, the pain, the affliction that we go through. We sing this together with Jesus because we're not meant to be socially distant. Now, I know in the way the term is currently used, it means to be physically distant. But, you know, we're not meant to be socially or emotionally distant from our brothers and sisters who may be facing hardship and and are really hurting. Maybe in ways that are just like us and maybe even more so. We sing this with Jesus as he sings this with us so that we would learn to love the least of these, our brothers and sisters. Because face it, the reality is coming to, to light that there are portions of the church, certain communities where they're enduring hardship much more than us. Take the, the COVID-19 Pandemic. Those with less economic means, meaning perhaps that they had um, poorer nutrition or maybe existing medical conditions to complicate matters, are now being struck and continue to be struck with this virus much more so than, than the rest of us. And there are certain segments because of, again, maybe economic conditions, they had to continue working. And as they worked, They may have contracted the the virus, or they may have also discovered that this essential job, as much as it was essential, is also being cut back. And and they are feeling the pinch of our economic downturn and the layoffs, much more so than maybe the majority of us. And there are certain segments that, because again, maybe because of lack of resources, even as education shifted to um, being primarily online, they didn't necessarily have the means 
to necessarily keep up. And so those who perhaps were already behind to start with find themselves even further behind. Do we, do we sense this? Can we identify with that? Or have we just simply tried to inoculate ourselves from it and kept some kind of distance? We have this love fund that has been stood up, and that's great. But is this love fund one where love is actually to be found in our hearts? Or is it something that we simply do with our hands? You know, it's not meant for us to have our hands reaching for our pocketbooks without our hearts being engaged. And that's what singing the affirmation, singing the, the, the laments and the affirmations of the psalm together does for us. It allows us to know that we are with Christ. And even as we look to, be, to being saved and being set on high eventually, we know that he already sits on high, enthroned above, and that there will come a day where we will come to fully magnify him and give him our thanksgiving because that's where the story really is headed. And he is the one to move the story forward. We Christians, it has said, that we live in the present no matter how difficult it is on the fat of the future because of what Jesus has accomplished in the past. Because what he has accomplished in the past guarantees us and gives us sight of the future And if we are humble, just as this psalm says, we will see it and we will be glad. Or as another psalm says, morning may tarry for a night, but joy comes with the morning. So we sing with Jesus. And church, do you know you need this? Do you want this? Or do you want something else instead? Something that is fake or something that maybe allows you to escape reality for a little while, only for you to wake up from reality to find that it's just as depressing as before, still as distressing. You may actually need something real. Now, Marx said, Karl Marx said, religion is the opiate of the masses. And I believe, yes, religions that just distract you from reality or numb you from the pain, they are essentially like opiates. But faith in Christ Jesus is different because what he accomplished is much more like water or sleep that we actually need. It's essential, for example, for your immune system to be able to overcome whatever diseases are out there or distresses that you're facing. You can't, your immune system stops to function as it should without essentials like water or like sleep. You need something that's real, a real peace, not a false peace, You know, in that imprecatory section that we read, there was a sense that a trap would be sprung on those even when they thought that they had peace. And so some, maybe today, who are persecuting, even murdering Christians, those who are going into churches, disrupting services, arresting Christians in the middle of service, those who are opposing God in whatever way, despising the gospel, the message is you may have a sense of peace right now, because you may feel like you have an upper hand and the the Christians that you persecute might not have any sense of peace, but they have a real peace. And the invitation is actually to all to turn to this peace, this real peace, something that gives you resilience and poise even under the most incredible pressure. What we need is the supernatural peace in in the midst of a most intense and historical pressure. Psalm 69 finishes with something that I believe was added by a king that came probably after David, a king of Judah, when Judah, the southern kingdom, was under siege. They continued to look 
to God for his faithful, loyal, and covenant love to deliver his people. But it also says they, they have insight that he would give them peace, allowing them to dwell in their land, in security. Jesus has made that picture, that future peace, a certainty. We will dwell securely and peacefully when he brings a story to its conclusion. 50 years ago, or, some, or more, um, Jefferson Airplane basically came to the conclusion of we uh, could be together, at, at, that we are just equally broken, we're equally outlaws, we're just kind of, we're all scum, and so we might as well get together. Not much hope in that. 50 years later, there's a contemporary song put out by Hillsong, and some of you may know it, maybe someday we'll sing it. It says, Jesus, you are peace to a restless soul. Peace when my thoughts wage war. Peace to the anxious heart. That's who you are. That's who you are. You are peace when my fear takes hold. Peace when I feel enclosed. Peace when I lose control. That's who you are. That's who you are. This peace that Jesus gives us, no matter what you're waiting for, no matter how weary you are, no matter what war, endless war you feel like you're wedged in, this peace can be yours still. You're invited to sing with Jesus. Sing this song. Know its lament, but know also its affirmations. Through his suffering, he has purchased you peace. And even now, you can have this promise of peace. Let's pray. Lord Father, we come before you acknowledging that there is a lot going on around us. Things that would call us, cause us to cry out to you. And yet we are thankful that even as we cry out and even as we lament, Jesus cries out with us. He laments with us. And yet we also are given the promise that he has already secured for us peace. And that no matter what difficulties we are going through, the story does not conclude here, but it concludes in a much better place when you have made all things new and when we know you as our Prince of Peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.